trusting can be tricky. Particularly when we talk about trusting others in, in personal relationships. Trust is something that's slowly gained, but quickly lost. It's never as easy as the movies make it seem. I particularly thought of this week of the movie Aladdin, where rather than earning trust over a long period of time, Aladdin just flies in on a magic carpet, looks at Jasmine and says, do you trust me? If I was her, I would have said, you're crazy. Can you get away from me? But she gets on the carpet. If you don't know that movie, you can think of many of Disney movies where the prince and princess trust one another almost immediately without either having had to earn it. Trust in real life is often not like that. It's harder to earn and it's easier to lose. Still, we all spend most of our days seeking to earn or trying to discern trust. The question of, do you trust me, is one we ask others, and others ask of us daily. In our family relationships, where children have to entrust themselves to their parents. In our workplaces, where we have to entrust ourselves to our bosses. In our, in our world, we have to entrust ourselves to our leaders on whatever team you might play on, where you have to entrust yourself to coaches and other teammates. We find ourselves having to to trust others' self-presentation or promotion of themselves, their self-commendation, and we seek to commend ourselves in such a way that others might trust us. We spend our days asking and answering the question, do you trust me? Well, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is somewhat like Aladdin, asking the Colossians to trust him as he is commending his ministry to them. But he's asking them to trust him not because he's lost and needs to earn back their trust, or that because he's under attack and he's trying to protect himself, as as we might see in a place like 2 Corinthians No, Paul is asking them to trust him. He's commending himself so that they might be encouraged to keep holding fast to the Jesus that he proclaims. He's commending himself as a way of encouraging the Colossian Christians to remain steadfast. His ministry that has led to their firm and steadfast faith is a ministry that is held up by the sufficiency of Jesus. And so he encourages them to hold fast to Christ. But if you have a Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24, where we will be considering together Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to use one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you. you I believe you can find Colossians 1 on page 983. As you open there, let me introduce myself to those of you who may not know me. My name is Paul, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us today, I'd love to have the opportunity to meet you and encourage you to stay after the service so that we might get to meet you. Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through chapter 2 verse 5, our ministry, mature in Christ. 
But before we read, let me lead us in a prayer for the hearing, reading, and receiving of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, our morning, our prayer this morning is that you would speak. That you would teach us your ways. That we might keep them to the end. Father, show us where our hearts are disobedient. Bring them into line with you through the working of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom? are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. Well, if there was one sentence that I would want you to to take home today as an understanding of what this passage is saying, I think this might be a good attempt. Our main idea this morning, true gospel ministry is laboring with the strength of Christ to proclaim Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. True gospel ministry is laboring with the strength of Christ to proclaim Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. Paul's aim is to remind the Colossians that they can trust the gospel that they have heard. They do not need to add on to it. That which we saw last week, that that we worship the preeminent Christ who is our hope, is confirmed to us because of how Paul approaches his ministry. The one who once slayed Christians was now being slayed for them. The one who once toiled for the destruction of Christians was now striving for their building up, their maturity. So Paul doesn't want the Colossians to be deceived by false teachers, by those who who might seek to to teach them that, that Christ is not sufficient 
And so he works towards the ends of encouraging them to continue in their faith by commending himself in this kind of ministry that works for their maturity. And so we this morning are both to receive this kind of ministry and we are to pursue this kind of ministry. True gospel ministry, laboring with the strength of Christ to proclaim Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. Well, we're going to consider that main idea in two points. First, Paul's gospel ministry, where we'll look at the whole passage, kind of walking through and and seeing what Paul says about how he has sought to minister the gospel. And then having done that, we will consider how Paul's gospel ministry shapes our gospel ministry. Paul's gospel ministry and our gospel ministry. Well, let's consider first Paul's gospel ministry. In verse 23, which we considered last week, we we see Paul conclude by referring to himself as a minister of the gospel. That word, minister, could be translated as servant. It's the the Greek word used both in, in verse 23 and verse 25 that we take the word deacon from. So Paul is saying he is a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church. And so now Paul, in verse 24, now he will go on to explain what this service, what this ministry looks like. And the first thing we see is that his ministry is marked by his rejoicing that he suffers for the sake of the body. Right off the bat, we're told that what Paul's ministry is for is is it's for the benefit of the Colossians. A church he did not plant, he had not visited, yet he is glad to suffer for them, for their sake, for the whole church. How are Paul's sufferings for the good of the Colossians and even the whole body? Well, because in verse 24... In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This is one of the most difficult verses to interpret in all of Colossians and in all of maybe the New Testament. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time here. What it sounds like is, is Paul is saying is that he's saying Christ's death, his suffering was not enough. Let me start by saying we know that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying nothing is, Paul is saying nothing is lacking in Christ's affliction when it comes to redemption. Nothing lacks in Christ's afflictions when it comes to delivering us from sin. This is what we saw last week in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 where Paul said, And through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things are reconciled through Jesus, through his cross. So nothing of what Paul suffers can add to that reconciliation that Jesus alone brings. So then what is lacking? Well, I think that it's that the afflictions of Christ have not been known or believed among the whole world. So, so what is lacking is that Christ's sufferings have not been loved by the world. 
Christ's sufferings are completely sufficient for salvation, but they are lacking in the sense that, that they have not been loved. John Piper will make this argument, and he writes this. What is lacking then in Christ's afflictions is not propitiation, but presentation. In other words, the sufferings of Jesus fully satisfied the wrath of God, but there is lacking a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world. So what is lacking is the delivery of the afflictions of Christ to others. This is what Paul goes on to say he is doing. He is proclaiming Christ. So what is lacking is the delivery of the afflictions. I think this is confirmed to us not only in what we see here in in Colossians 1, but where we see this phrase used in the only other time in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2 verse 30. Here in Philippians, the the Apostle Paul is is calling the Philippian church to give honor to Epaphroditus. That's a fun name to say. He's calling them to honor him because he had put his life on the line to complete what was lacking in the Philippians' service. This is what we read in chapter 2, verse 30. For he, that is Epaphroditus, nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete or fill what was lacking in your service to me. Paul had already recounted to the Philippians how grateful he was for their partnership how thankful he was for, for, for the fact that they had come alongside of him. It's likely that in some way they had taken up a, a donation to give to, to Paul. And Epaphroditus completed what was lacking by delivering that donation to Paul. And I want to argue that in the same way, Paul completes what is lacking in Christ's afflictions as he suffers for his delivery of the riches of the gospel. That in some senses this is financial terms. Right? We, we go on to see throughout our passage this morning, Paul referred to the gospel as the riches of God. Verse 27, the, the riches of the glory of this mystery. Verse 20, chapter 2, verse 2, the riches of full assurance. In verse 3, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the riches that Paul is delivering are the riches that he received from God, the message of the gospel. It is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And as Paul proclaims Jesus, he suffers for that proclamation. In fact, he's in jail right now as he writes this letter to the Colossians. But this suffering that Paul is experiencing is completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions because as Paul is afflicted for the gospel, the world learns of and sees Christ's afflictions. So Jesus' afflictions are not lacking in anything that might be, make it insufficient for our salvation. But it is lacking as it needs to be proclaimed to all the world. And as we proclaim the gospel, we suffer for it. This is how the gospel has come to us. It has come through faithful ministers of the gospel having their hands bound, their bodies beaten, their palms pierced. The blood of the martyrs testifies to the afflictions of Jesus that are sufficient for our salvation. And so Paul says he rejoices in his suffering because by his suffering as he proclaims the gospel, the gospel is going forth and Christ's afflictions are being made known to more and more. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we too should rejoice to suffer for the proclamation of the gospel. Our suffering will look different from Paul's and for many others throughout church history, particularly in our country. It may be that we will be mocked by our friends for our proclamation of Jesus. Or we'll be insulted by co-workers or scorned by our neighbors or maybe even passed up for promotions. But we ought to rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. And so Paul rejoices in his afflictions because they fill what is lacking in Christ's afflictions as he proclaims Jesus making the riches of God's mystery known. Well, why is Paul able to do this? Well, it's because he was made a minister by God. Look at verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. God made Paul a servant of the church for the good of the church so that he may make the word of God fully known to the church. It was this word that is the mystery that had been hidden but is now revealed. When Paul calls it a mystery, it's not like a a mystery novel where you have to begin to put the the pieces together. What he means is, is that what was hidden is no longer hidden. It's like what we read in Daniel chapter 2 where we praised God because he reveals the mystery. Or what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 where we see in Christ, God has made known the mystery of his will. It's like a parent who finally reveals the gifts that were hidden on Christmas morning. With the coming of Jesus, the gift has been revealed. That which is hidden is no longer hidden. It's now available for all to hear and to receive. It's been revealed to all the saints in verse 26. Verse 27, to them, to the saints, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. All people have access to God, both Jew and Gentile. And the glorious mystery that is now revealed is that Christ is in you, the very hope of glory. The mystery that has been revealed is Christ in his gospel. That with the coming of Jesus, his people are indwelt by him. That we are intimately united to our Savior. And with this union, we are given a hope of future glory. And how does Paul make known this mystery? Well, he makes the word of God fully known, which I think he further then explains in verse 28. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This hope is made known through the proclamation of Jesus. As I was reminded of this week, when you see clothing that says one size fits all, we know it's a promise that the clothing cannot keep. For some, that clothing will be too big or too small. But Paul is saying one person for all, one message for all. And that is a promise that can be kept. Jesus is the sum and substance of our message. He is sufficient. The Christian message is the message of Jesus. 
The message that we saw last week in, in chapters 1, 15 through 23, that the divine Son of God who reveals God to the nations, who is creator of all things and is the very reason for all of creation, took on flesh. So that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. And He took on flesh for sinners, for those who were alienated from Him, separated from Him, were enemies of Him. And He took on flesh that He might reconcile those who were alienated through His death, taking on the punishment that we deserve, bearing God's wrath for our sin, being buried and then rose again on the third day that we might be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. This is the message that we can sum up by saying, Him we proclaim, we proclaim Jesus. And Paul proclaims this Jesus to everyone. No one is excluded from the ministry of hearing Christ proclaimed to them. There is no kind of knowledge about Jesus that's saved only for the the spiritual elites. Christ enjoys each and every one of us who have believed in him. And so the apostle proclaims Jesus to all, warning and teaching And he does so that he might present everyone mature in Christ. That's what we see at the end of verse 28. The the aim of Paul's ministry is to present everyone mature. Paul's aim isn't to make a name for himself. It isn't to reach a, a certain capacity in those who are coming to listen to him. His aim is set to the last day. To see those who are in Christ presented mature in Christ. And so Paul says in verse 29, For this, presenting everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The idea here is that Paul is is working hard, strenuously contending for the people. There is nothing easy about what the apostle is doing as he proclaims Jesus to all. But he's not just giving his own energy. He is being empowered by the one who is omnipotent. It ultimately is not his energy. Paul makes no mention of his energy. Whose energy is he toiling with? It's with Christ's energy that is being powerfully worked within him. As one commentator said, all Paul's work would be of little effect if it was not done through the power of Christ. Your ministry, brothers and sisters, would be of little effect to one another if it is not done through the power of Jesus. Paul was known for how he worked harder than all, but it was only and always through Christ who gave him strength. And so Paul's aim is that the Colossians might know of this struggle, even though he hasn't met them face to face, so that they would be encouraged. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. The struggle that he just told us about. I want you to know how great it is for you and for, for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul's aim is that the Christian's 
those he's met and those he hasn't met in particular, would come to the full assurance in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants their hearts to be encouraged and their love to be united because of the maturity that's being brought in them as they are firmly resting in Christ. And why is it that they are firmly resting in Christ? It's because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him. If we know Jesus, we have access to the fullness of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge. There's no special knowledge kept secret. We don't work through certain stages or steps to gain, to gain more knowledge than what we can have access to right now. If we know Jesus, we have access to all of it. Because in Him are found the wisdom of God. In fact, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 1.24 that Christ is the wisdom of God. Friends, if you want to know God's wisdom, you look to Christ. And as you seek to, to go under the, the ministry of others, make sure that they're proclaiming Christ to you. Because in Him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Well, why does Paul say this? Why does he tell us of his struggle? Why is he commending his ministry to us? Well, look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you or deceive you with plausible arguments. Paul is commending himself because he knows how easily deceived we are by arguments that seem reasonable, that seem plausible. He doesn't want the Colossians to be deceived by the the false teaching that's happening around them. Paul is giving us a peek into why he's writing this letter. Because the teaching that was surrounding the Colossians seemed reasonable, plausible, maybe right. But that's what makes it dangerous. Ultimately, Paul will tell us that it is empty in chapter 2, verse 8. But Paul's not writing this because they've been deceived. He's writing this so that they will continue to not be deceived. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul is happy to see them having remained steadfast so far. His ministry centered on the proclamation of Jesus, and that ministry has produced good ordered and faithful disciples. That is, mature disciples. I think the good order could be that they are well-disciplined, well-discipled. Ultimately, they are firm in their faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is writing this as, a, as like a vaccine that's given to a healthy person to help keep them healthy. Paul has written this letter so that they would remain healthy and mature. He's not giving them an antibiotic because they have a disease-ridden body that needs to be healed. He wants them to see, to remain as they are, disciplined and firm. Paul, like a good doctor, sees the danger that is around them. And he wants to keep them safe. And he does so by commending his ministry. His ministry that was proclaiming all the wisdom of God in Jesus for all the saints with all of his energy so that all may be mature. The Colossians can remain firm because Paul ministered to them in this way. And we too, as saints, on having 
now reading this letter can also remain firm because Paul's ministry looked like this. We can receive the vaccine of Colossians, so to speak, because the Apostle Paul was a faithful minister. Paul labored with the strength of Christ to proclaim Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. And Paul's ministry produced those who were well-ordered and firm in their faith. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to us that this is the kind of ministry that we need in our church. The kind of ministry that labors with the strength of Christ to proclaim Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. So this leads us then to our second point, our gospel ministry. Our gospel ministry. Brothers and sisters, if we long to be those who are firmly rooted in our faith, well-ordered, not easily swayed, we need to have the kind of faith that works itself out in ministry like this to one another. We need this as leaders, right? as your elders. We need to have this kind of ministry that labors to proclaim Christ with the strength of Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. But Paul, even in Colossians chapter 3, will tell us that we are to speak the truth in love to one another. That we are to be discipling one another. And so it's the ministry that ought to mark each and every one of us. Each of us is called to this kind of true gospel ministry. And so as we strive for this kind of ministry, let let me highlight three ways from Paul's description of his ministry that will shape how we pursue true gospel ministry. The first way that we pursue true gospel ministry is in who we serve. Who we serve. We are a people-oriented ministry. As we consider what Paul's ministry, how that shapes our ministry, the first thing that we should note is that a ministry that produces firmly grounded and well-discipled men and women is a ministry that is oriented around those men and women. We see this right off the bat in Paul's ministry. We, we highlighted it at the beginning, right? That Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings for your sake. That is for the sake of his body, that is the church there in verse 24. In verse 25, he says he was given this ministry from God for you. In chapter 2, verse 1, he tells us how great of his struggle that he has for us. Paul's ministry was a people-oriented ministry. We see this not only here in Colossians, but in the last words that we have of Paul, where he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And he says, what you have heard from me, that is his instructions to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What was to mark Timothy's ministry? Teaching others. It was to mark people. It was to be marked by by ministering to people, to teach others who could teach others who could teach others. So friends, true gospel ministry will always be a ministry that's not oriented around ourselves or around programs, but oriented towards other people. True gospel ministry will always be a ministry that's not oriented around ourselves or around programs, but oriented around other people. It can be easy we come on Sunday mornings or as we go throughout our week to see people as obstacles to whatever mission we are seeking to accomplish within the church or in our lives. But we must not forget that people are the mission. 
They were Paul's mission and they should be our mission. And this is all built upon the fact that it was at the core of Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we read, For even the Son of Man came not to be served. That was, his ministry was not self-oriented to get the benefit for himself. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served. He came for you and for me. And it was his love that drove all that he did, including going to the cross where he was crucified for our sins. So saints, as we look at the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Paul, we are not to be like pigs at mealtime where we hort, snort, and, and, and push each other out of the way as we try to reach for the food, trying to get what we want before what anyone else wants. It's easy for us to get consumed with ourselves, with our tasks. Even for me this week, I was reminded again and again how easy it is for me to forget how my ministry ought to be people-oriented. But friends, I could preach the best sermon or have the best application, but if I'm not loving people, praying for people, serving people, then it's just a noisy gong. So as you think about your service, your ministry in this body, consider, are you seeking to serve for the good of others or so that others might like you or serve you more? As you consider what we should be doing as a church, be, be more concerned with what would benefit others. Not concerned with tradition or, or even necessarily what we enjoy doing. But what would benefit the people whom God has given to us? This affects everything that we do. From what we do on Sunday mornings to what we do throughout the week. Every decision we make is an opportunity to be people-oriented. But brothers and sisters, if you found yourself to be, be more concerned with self than with others, my encouragement is to tell someone. One of the best ways to move from self-orientation to other orientation is through honesty and confession. Bring someone else into your life who can fight alongside of you. But if we're not intentional about it, we will quickly move away from being people-oriented to being task or program or self-oriented. And the ministry that's not oriented around people will be one that quickly leads to immature disciples. And this is why we must consider not only who we serve, but why we serve. We serve to present people mature in Christ. To present people mature in Christ. The Apostle's purpose is is clear throughout this section, but I just want to highlight particularly verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that, it's the purpose, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is Paul's purpose. This is his aim in in why he does what he does. So let's note three things about this aim. First, the purpose is not more people, but mature people. Or another way of saying that, the purpose is mature people, not more people. I want to be careful not to fully pit these two aims against one another. As in either you aim for more people or mature people. Certainly we want to be people who are oriented and praying and seeking the salvation of those around us. This is what we see, Paul has said, the mystery is made known to all 
proclaiming Jesus to everyone, teaching everyone. But the reason that the apostle is laboring, striving, struggling, contending, toiling, is so that the people may be made mature. So if your only purpose is to see more people and not mature people, then your aim is going to be misdirected. And as your aim is misdirected, it affects how you serve. Because rather than proclaiming the full word of God, you might proclaim only that which is easy to hear so that more people will want to come and hear it. So the purpose must be mature people, not just more people. Second, we see about this aim of Paul that the, the purpose is long-term focused, not short-term focused. We are called to serve here and now in the present, right? Today, September 11th, 2022, we are called to minister to the people of God. But our eyes ought to be set on the, the future. As one pastor said, this kind of ministry requires an investor's mentality, knowing that the return is eternal. We must have the kind of mentality that says, we're not working for today, we're working for mature people to be ready when Christ comes. It's like when you invest in a fixer-upper. You do so for the long term, not the short term. Because if you're only working for the short term, as you spend more money and more energy and more resources, but don't see much change, it's going to seem like a waste. It may take months or even years. But when the house is completed and, and the profit comes back to you, it, it begins to be worth it. And friends, this is the kind of, of mindset that we need. It's the kind of mindset that will help us endure when others sin against us. It's the kind of mindset that will help us endure when, when we have to say the same thing again and again and again. I was reminded of this last night. I spent an hour saying the same thing to Aaron. Again and again and again, while he ran around our house, not listening to anything I have to say. And I had to remind myself and, and, and Tori that we're doing this for the long run. We're doing this so that when he's 18 years old, he will not run around the house naked as he is right now. <laughs> and friends, the same is true in our ministry of the church. We need to have the long-term mindset. We need to have that long-term mindset with those who are around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, and our family. And remembering this will help us when the toil and struggle feels like too much, when it feels like we're pouring out all of our energy but for no purpose. Remembering this will lead us to serve faithfully. So the purpose is, is for mature people, not more people. The purpose is long-term focused, not short-term focused. And finally, the purpose is given by God, not chosen by man. This aim that Paul has, this ministry that he has, comes from God. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. We need no, look no further than the account of Paul's salvation in Acts 9 to remember how much this ministry was not Paul's idea, but God's gift to him. And friends, the same is true for us today. We serve this way. We minister the gospel to one another and to those around us this way because this is what God has given us. And so we do it 
Because he loved us most, and so now we love him most. And if we remember that our purpose comes not from ourselves, but from the God of all the universe who loved us, who cares for us, who sent his son to die for us, then we'll be far more willing to pour ourselves out in the kind of labor to proclaim Jesus that we are called to here. So the purpose is mature people, not more people. It's long-term focus, not short-term focus. It's given by God, not chosen by man. And all of this, that purpose is to see people mature in Christ. Paul's ministry shapes who we serve and why we serve. But finally, Paul's ministry shapes how we serve. We know our aim or who, we're, who are the recipients of our ministry. It's people. We know our aim in, in ministering to people, to see them mature. But how do we do that? How do we serve and minister? Well, look at how Paul describes it in chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. How do we minister others? To others in the church? Well, I want to suggest three ways. First, we proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Paul says, Him we proclaim. Meeting physical needs is an important way that we can minister to others. But if our aim is to see people matured in Christ, then we must proclaim Jesus. And by proclaiming Jesus, we must make the word of God fully known. Because it is in Christ that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? We said earlier, Jesus is the sum and substance of our message. In some senses, Jesus is the sum and substance of the the word of God. Right? The Old Testament is the prophecy of Christ. The Gospels are the ministry of Christ. The book of Acts and the epistles are the application of Christ's death to the church. And Revelation is all about the return of Christ. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to see mature disciples, you must proclaim Jesus. You must proclaim Jesus to those in this body. And you must proclaim Jesus to those around you in the world. But if we're going to proclaim Jesus, we must first know Jesus. And this is where Proverbs chapter 2 that we read earlier comes in. There, Solomon is instructing his son to seek out the word. To seek it like hidden treasure. So if we were to take Proverbs 2 and use the language of what Paul's here using in Colossians 1, we might say something like, we are to make our ear attentive to Jesus. We are to incline our heart to understanding Jesus in his word. We are to call out in prayer to God to give understanding of Jesus from his word. We must seek and search for Jesus in his word as we would for hidden treasure. Friends, if we know that in Jesus are all the, wis- all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then nothing should stop us from searching and seeking him 
Nothing should stop you. Not the football game that's on this afternoon. Not the busyness at work. The responsibilities you have in your home, in your family. Friends, if you want to know Jesus so that you can proclaim Jesus, you should pursue Him like you would hidden treasure. It should consume your life. I'm not saying don't do your responsibilities or don't watch a football game. I'm probably going to do that this afternoon. But what I am saying is if you're not consumed with knowing Jesus more, then you will not be able to proclaim Jesus in such a way that will create mature disciples. And I don't want to assume that all of you here have known Jesus at all. If you don't know Jesus, then you need to hear this even more. The wisdom and knowledge that you seek in, your, in this life can only be found in Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, unable to come to true wisdom and knowledge. Apart from Christ, we will never be presented mature, but we will only be presented for judgment. Apart from Christ, we can struggle and toil with all of our energy, but it will not save us. Because all our good works are like filthy rags deserving God's judgment. But Jesus took that judgment on himself. He lived, he died, and rose again so that through faith he might indwell us. So that through faith we might have access to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you do not know Jesus, let me encourage you to find someone after the service who you can talk to. To uncover to reveal some of the the hidden treasures that are now revealed in Christ alone. As Paul knew Jesus more, he proclaimed Jesus more. So brothers and sisters, this week in your relationships, consider how you might proclaim Jesus more. At lunch today, think, ask a question of what, what have you been learning about Jesus? How has the gospel encouraged you this week? When you're meeting with another member this week or you're trying to to serve someone, do so with the the purpose of of not only meeting the physical need, but to proclaim Christ to them. But as we proclaim Jesus, we do it in a certain way. We warn and teach. We warn and teach. Paul's ministry was marked both by warning away from that which was worthless and teaching of where we can find the riches and wisdom of the gospel. So friends, part of proclaiming Jesus is warning of the dangers when we wander away from Jesus. I wonder what keeps you from warning others. A ministry that's going to create mature disciples is a ministry that warns from danger. It's a ministry that teaches of the reality of sin. And our certain judgment apart from Christ. It's the reality that warns when, when someone is in unrepentant sin and, and, and walking away from Christ. But it's also a ministry that teaches the fullness of the riches of Jesus. Where we get to joyfully come together week after week to learn and, and, and deepen our understanding of the riches that come to us through knowing Christ. So friends, teach the full word of God. As your pastors, we are committed to teaching the full word of God here on Sunday mornings and in our, in our services and Sunday school and our Wednesday evening Bible study. And you too ought to be intentional to teach the whole word of God. So you need to know the whole word of God. 
Beware of leaning too far into to one way or the other. Of only warning or never warning. But ultimately, Paul will say, not only are we to proclaim Jesus by warning everyone and teaching everyone, but we are to do so as we toil in agony. As we toil in agony. In, in the ESV, which we're proclaiming from this morning, we see the word struggle appear two times. One in verse 29. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling. And again in chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle. That, that word can be translated in, 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 a, in a variety of days. It can be translated as agony. So Paul says, I, I toil agonizing with all his energy. Or how great an, an agony I have for you. The idea is, is that Paul, like an athlete, is giving all of his effort. He's giving of his very self. He's strenuously contending, working, toiling. And so we might say it this way, as, as one pastor says it, true Christian faith is not lazy faith. Friends, if your ministry is limited to what makes you comfortable, to what is easy, or what is convenient, it's not the kind of ministry that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He is strenuously contending and struggling, agonizing. He's gone past what is convenient to what is very inconvenient. And so you too, we too, brothers and sisters, must serve not only when it's easy, or when we feel like it, or half-heartedly. The kind of ministry that produces mature disciples is hard work. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It is messy to, to orient ourselves around peoples whose lives are full of sin. It is difficult to aim for a long-term goal rather than just getting some short-term tasks checked off the list. It is hard work. But this kind of hard work is not work done on our own. We highlighted it earlier, right? What, with whose energy is Paul toiling and struggling? With Christ's energy. With his strength. In fact, Paul is experiencing spiritual power as he gives himself out in this kind of service and ministry. We experience the power of Christ as we work for the good of others. So maybe you're slow to kind of do this kind of hard ministry because you're afraid. It's a whole lot easier to focus on ourselves or just to, to do the things that are fun. It's a lot harder to get into the mess of people's lives and proclaim Jesus to them in the midst of it. But we don't go at it alone. God is working in us. If we are in Christ, He is in us. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school where the, the Holy Spirit's work and role in our lives is that He indwells us now and, and empowers us to pursue that which is righteous and good. Here, Paul attributes to Christ being in us. I think to highlight the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is in us and He's working to, in us to accomplish His will and good pleasure. So pray and ask God to give you confidence in His working in you. And then take him at his word and strive and toil in the hard work of the ministry that we see presented before us this morning. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of ministry that produces mature disciples. Ministry that is empowered by God to warn and teach. Ministry that is proclaiming Jesus to all. Ministry that's aimed at presenting people mature in Christ. And a ministry that's oriented around people. This is the ministry that Paul gave himself to. And the Colossians therefore had every reason to be firmly grounded in their faith. And this is the, the, the kind of ministry that we ought to participate in. And when we give ourselves to it, we are, produ- we are participating in the kind of ministry that will produce firmly grounded and well-disciplined and ordered disciples. So brothers and sisters, give yourself to true gospel ministry by laboring with the strength of Christ to proclaim Christ so that all may be mature in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. The kind of ministry that's presented before us here this morning is difficult. It's strenuous. It's hard work. And so, Father, we pray that you would work in us. Assure us of your presence within us to to work with all your energy to proclaim Christ to all. Father, may we be known for how we proclaim Jesus to one another and to those around us. Use us as we proclaim Jesus to bring others to a true knowledge of who He is, to a knowledge of all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge that are in Him. And it's to this end that we pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment, brothers and sisters, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to what we've just heard in song, but take a moment to silently reflect on your ministry, what it looks like to those around you, to your family, to those in this body, and ask and pray that God would assure you of his presence in you to work so that you may pursue this kind of gospel ministry. Take a few moments to reflect.